Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. Through His incarnation, the triune God became a man, Jesus Christ, to be among us. Through His death and resurrection, He became the life-giving Spirit to be within us. You have joined the Life Study of Romans, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry of Anaheim, California. This broadcast is produced from over 70 years of ministry by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Our life study today brings us to Romans chapter 2, and here to fellowship about this very profound and significant chapter in the Gospel of Romans is Francis Ball. Francis, welcome back today. Thank you very much. I mentioned, Francis, that this is the Gospel because Paul calls it that. What does he mean by this, Francis? And if Romans is a Gospel... How does it differ from the four traditional Gospels? Yes, we can certainly say that the book of Romans is a Gospel in addition to the first four books of the New Testament. In chapter 1, in fact, this is mentioned at least four times. In verse 1, it says the Gospel of God. And in verse 9, it says the Gospel of His Son. And verse 15, Paul says he is ready to preach the Gospel. And in verse 16... He says he's not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power of God. The gospel in the first four books was concerning Christ in the flesh, before his death and resurrection, whereas the gospel in Romans is concerning Christ as the Spirit after his resurrection. In the first four gospels, he is among his disciples. In the gospel in Romans... He is the Spirit within His believers. This is the main difference between the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Gospel of Romans. Francis, thank you. Let's join Witness Lee for today's life study of Romans. The Gospel of God. This is the subject of this book. We Christians used to say... The Gospels are just four books. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But here, Paul says his epistle to the Romans is also a Gospel. The Christ in the four Gospels was among the disciples. But the Christ in Romans is within us. And the Christ in the four Gospels was after the Incarnation and before death and resurrection. But here in Romans, the Christ is after resurrection and in us. If 
You only have the gospel concerning Christ in the four books. It would not be so complete. You need the fifth gospel, the book of Romans, to complete the gospel of Christ. Because today, our Christ is not the one merely after incarnation and before resurrection among his disciples. Our Christ today is the spirit of life is within us. Such a subjective one. Then, this gospel of God is concerning a person. You do have forgiveness and the matter of being saved and so forth in the gospel. But all these are not the central point of the gospel of God. The gospel of God is concerning a person. And this person is the Son of God and is the Lord to us. And this wonderful person mainly has two natures. The divine nature and the human nature. In other words, divinity and humanity. Firstly, Christ passed the process of incarnation. By incarnation, he became flesh. And then he passed through the process of death and resurrection. By this second step of his process, he became the Son of God out of resurrection. By the first step, he became the flesh. By his incarnation, Christ brought God into humanity. Then by his second step, death and resurrection, he brought man into divinity. Christ, as a divine person, was the Son of God. But that Jesus with the flesh, born of Mary. That part was not the Son of God. Surely that part was something human. By his death and resurrection, Christ has sanctified that part. That part has been designated to be something that is one with divinity. It was sanctified, uplifted, and designated by the way of resurrection. Listen, in order to help us to realize something, you have to consider this. Here is a seed of carnation. Little seed in the color of brown. When you sow it into the earth and grows up, and it blossoms what it is. This is a designation. Here is a little seed. I don't know what can seed it is. But when you sow it into the earth, and it grows, and it blossoms, by blossoming, it is designated. Everybody can say this is carnation. 
Can you see that? It is still carnation. They see this carnation. The blossom is also carnation. But the form is different from the seed. The seed is just a seed. No blossom. It's hard for any people to realize that is the incarnation. But after growing up, it is designated. Everybody can see this is carnation. When Jesus was in the flesh, during the, those 33 and a half years, he was just like the sea. The Son of God was in him. But no one would realize. Then he went into death. He was soon into death. And he got resurrected. And he blossomed. By this, he was designated the Son of God. Francis, we have a point here that seems somewhat doctrinal, and that is designation. But the practical illustration that Witnessley used of the carnation seed and the following blossom makes this very much easier to grasp. Say something further about this helpful picture. Brother Lee uses the word designated from verses 3 and 4 in chapter 1. There it says that the Son of God who came out of the seed of David according to the flesh was designated the Son of God out of resurrection. The way he illustrated that designation was by showing us a little brown seed. You may not know what kind of seed it is by looking at it, but when you sow it into the earth and it grows and eventually blossoms, that blossoming is its designation. You know by the blossom that it's, for example, a carnation flower. The blossoming is its designation. When it's just a seed, you can hardly recognize what kind of seed it is, whether it's a flower seed or some other kind of seed or what kind of flower. But when it blossoms, everyone can tell what it is, a carnation flower. Its designation is a carnation. So you could say during a 33 and a half years Christ was in the flesh, walking here on earth, he was just that little seed. No one could easily realize he was the Son of God. But when he went into death and came out in resurrection, that was his blossoming. By that, he was designated the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness, which we read in chapter 1. He didn't put off his humanity, his flesh, but he transformed the flesh. He sanctified the flesh. So now... Not only is the Son of God the Son of God, but also Jesus, the man, is the Son of God. So now he is the Son of God with humanity. His humanity is uplifted, sanctified, transformed, designated out of resurrection. Hallelujah. There's a man in the glory. There's a man in the glory. Francis, let's rejoin Witness Lee for more of our life study. When she became flesh, that was for redemption. 
It is for sure divinity has no blood. Only humanity has. And the redemption needs the blood. Without blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So he became the flesh for redemption. But redemption is not the goal. Redemption is to pave the way that life might be given. Even in John, firstly, Christ was recommended as the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. That was for redemption. Then in John, he was recommended to be the life. Firstly, he accomplished redemption. Then he became life to us. When he became the flesh, that was for redemption. After that, he became the Son of God designated out of resurrection for imparting himself to us as life. Amen. The first step of his process was for redemption. Then the second step is for imparting life. What we have within us today as our life is the resurrected Christ. In the first part, Romans deal with redemption. Accomplished by Christ in the flesh. Even Romans 8 says, God sent his son in the likeness of the flesh of sin and condemned sin in the flesh. So you see, in the first part, Christ in Romans is revealed as the Redeemer in the flesh. But he is revealed in the second part of Romans as the life-giving spirit. When you come to chapter 8, you do have this term, the spirit of life. That is the indwelling spirit. And the indwelling spirit is the spirit of Christ. And the spirit of Christ is just Christ himself in you. Christ became the life-giving spirit. And this is for the imparting of life. And this is dealt with in the second part of the book of Romans. Not only so. The book of Romans has a goal to produce the many sons of God. And this needs the redemption, the imparting of life, and the living by this life. We became fallen. As sinners, we need the redemption, and we need the divine life, and we need to live by the divine life that we could be regenerate and transformed and glorified fully to be the sons of God. Eventually, we all will be the sons of God. God had only one son, the only begotten, but God would not be satisfied with his only begotten. God needs many sons, and God used his only begotten as a model, as a pattern, 
to produce many, many things. Do you know that Christ passed through the process to be designated the Son of God? And today we are passing through the same process to be designated the sons of God. Well, Francis, there was much in this section that we could talk about. But let's focus on this common term that he used at the end of the portion, and that is Son of God. Of course, Christ is the Son of God. But Romans also reveals that we are becoming sons of God. What does it mean to be a son of God? To be a son of God means, first of all, to be born of God. It means we have God's life and we have God's nature. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God's Son because from eternity He had divinity. Then He put on humanity by being incarnated. That is, He came in the flesh. By His resurrection, He brought His humanity into divinity. He went through this whole process to be the God-man. He is God the Son, and His humanity has been brought into the Sonship by His resurrection. So, concerning us, we were sinners. We were fallen, we were degraded, but we still have the created humanity, though it's become fallen and sinful. Christ took our sinful nature upon Himself, and He died to redeem us from such a sinful condition. His death answered all of God's righteous demands upon us. But He redeemed us not just to restore us to be human beings in our natural uh, human life. He redeemed us to add Himself, to add His life and His nature into us. The dispensing of His life and nature into us makes us possessors of the divine life and partakers of the divine nature. So we are sons of God with God's life and nature. Consequently, we are both human and divine. You could say we are God-men. Sons of God. Francis, I want to make sure that I understand you right. Christ began with divinity and took on humanity. We, of course, had only humanity, but an element of divinity has been added to us so that we can fully follow him into a full sonship. Yes, I would say this is exactly what is meant, that we do have a humanity that we begin with, but that became ruined and fallen and had to be redeemed. And that brought back a condition in man into which God could put his life and nature. And that's what makes us the sons of God, having his life and his nature. Thank you, Francis. Let's rejoin Witness Lee for the conclusion of our life study. My, you have to realize salvation in this book means a lot. Not just to save you from God's condemnation, not just to save you from hell, but to save you from being so natural, to save you from being so self-like. 
to save you also from being so individualistic. This salvation is to save you to the uttermost that you will be sanctified and transformed and even conformed and glorified and be built up together with others as one body. This gospel is the power of God unto such a complete and a full and ultimate salvation to all who believe. Praise the Lord. We are the ones who believe. This gospel is so powerful because the righteousness of God is revealed in this gospel. You have to realize that John 3.16 says, God loved the world, that the world got saved. Then Ephesians 2 says, God saved us by his grace. But here, Paul doesn't say salvation by love or by grace, but by righteousness of God. Do you know that love and grace both are something not related to the law? You see? No law forces people to love. Right? No law forces people to give others grace. God, in a sense, is not bound to love us. And God is not held to give us grace. And He is not bound to love us. Neither He is held to give grace. But I tell you, righteousness is something related to love. Do you know that as Christ has fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law, as Christ has done this, now God is held. God is about to save us. Amen. If now you say, Lord Jesus, you are my Savior, and you turn your head to say, God, praise thee. You have to forgive me. You like to forgive. You have to forgive. You don't like to forgive. You still have to forgive. <laughs> if you forgive, you are righteous. If you don't forgive, you are unrighteous. Be strong to say something to God in this way. Yes. Why? Because Christ has fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law. So today God just got by. He has no other way. God cannot escape. He has to forgive you. He has to save you because he is righteous. Even John, in his epistle, says, God is righteous. If you confess your sin, God is righteous because Christ died for you and the blood was shed for you. So God has to cleanse you. God's righteous. This is why with the gospel praised by Paul, there is a power. Because here in the gospel, it is mainly not the love, now the grace of God is manifested, but rather his righteousness. His righteousness is the strongest bond that he has 
to save us. This righteousness of God is revealed out of faith and into faith. What does this mean? This means as long as you have the faith, the righteousness of God is yours. The righteousness of God comes out of your faith and it comes to your faith. Then you would say, Brother Lee, for me, I don't have the faith. Don't say this. As long as you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, he is raised unto you. When you call on him, O Lord Jesus, let me tell you, he is your faith. When you call him, O Lord Jesus, you have the faith. Francis, Christians talk a lot about how we are saved by the love of God or the grace of God. But explain how it is that God is not bound by either his love or his grace to save us, but he is bound by his righteousness. This is a very good question because we don't ever want to make light of God's love and grace, but we don't want either to miss the fact that God is righteous. We learn from John 3.16 that God's love is the source and the motive of God's salvation. And we learn from Ephesians chapter 2, I think you could say verses 5 and 8, that God's grace is the means of God's salvation. But here in Romans, we learn that God's righteousness is the power of his salvation. Now, what makes it the power? When you speak of righteousness, you touch a legal matter. Uh, we have to realize that legally, both love and grace can fluctuate. But righteousness is inflexible. Actually, righteousness, according to the Bible, is the foundation of God's throne, and it is the base on which his kingdom is built. So because of all God's righteous requirements being met by Christ's accomplishment in his judicial redemption when he died on the cross, God is bound to save everyone who believes into him. If you believe in Christ, you can tell God, because of your righteousness, you have to save me. Christ paid all my debt on the cross, and all your requirements concerning your glory, your righteousness, and your holiness have all been met. Therefore, you can say to God, you have to save me because I believe in Christ. Francis, I have to say I love this point. I remember a time before I was a believer, the thought of God's righteousness was somewhat terrifying. Yes. But after we receive him and receive the full payment of every one of our obligations by him, actually God's righteousness is now our greatest advocate. Yes, and it's the power of God's salvation. We have the full assurance he will save us and he will keep us. Amen. Thank you, Francis, for your fellowship today. It's good to be in Romans. And it's good to have all of you, our listeners, with us as well as we have begun a wonderful exploration of this landmark book in the New Testament. Thank you very much for listening, and again, we look forward to having you back with us next week.
Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs consist of excerpts from Witness Lee's spoken ministry, along with our discussion and comments, and all focusing on God's heart's desire that we would enjoy Christ as the divine life for man. These life study messages show us that every book of the Bible reveal that enjoying Him in this way will bring us to the goal of our salvation. There are more than 1,700 programs like this one available online free of charge that you can download, stream live, or add to your podcast subscription. Just visit our website, lsmradio.com. That's lsmradio.com. You can also reach us by email, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.